that we can assemble in the name of the Lord and celebrate this special day together as a church. And we've got some um, uh, wonderful things going on. We're going to have a baby dedication. Pray for the Brinkman family. Uh, uh, they, Mom and Dad have been nursing the little ones, and finally the little ones passed it on to Mom and Dad. So... Uh, they've been battling the bug that's been going around. And I would like us to start with one of the most familiar verses in all the Bible. Let's go to the book of John, chapter 3. And I would encourage you, even if you have the verse memorized, please turn in your Bible and read along with me. Uh, there's just something special about holding God's Word in your hand and reading even though you know the verse as well and you're familiar with the passage. Verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have ever." Lasting life. I'm reminded my pastor Roy Thompson once preached an entire year of Sunday morning sermons. And his only text for every sermon of the entire year was John 3.16. And uh, I'm not going to attempt that, especially this morning. Amen. Uh, We'll just stick with one sermon. But that is why we are here today is God's love for us. And love is one of those things that is so misunderstood. And by the way, uh, we're we're not having the children's church or the toddler's church today because we want to give the workers the day off. I think we do have a nursery this morning for the very little ones. And so if there's a little extra noise... Be patient this morning. It's Christmas. Amen. And we'll enjoy that time together. And I will try to preach short this morning. Maybe we'll get it under an hour. I don't know. We'll, we'll be careful here uh, with the time. But love is so misunderstood in our day, in our time, is it not? People give, they spend, they... They think that love is measured by so many things that it it can't be. You know, love is not measured by indebtedness. Do you know what I mean by that? The expensiveness of the gift. It's really not expensive. Men, understand this. Your wife is not going to count it expensive if she has to write the check for the credit card bill for the next five years. That's, that's not a pleasant gift. God loved us, so He gave. But He gave what He had. My children, before Christmas, always come up, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? And I think my answer's been the same for the last... 27 years, I would like you to obey your mother every day of the coming year. And they go, 
Oh, but I said, you see, that gift costs something every day. That is the most expensive gift you could possibly give. And mom would really love it. So would dad. Amen. But that's not a very exciting gift because we can't wrap it up and put it under the tree. We can't hold it in our hands. And yet, isn't that the way God gave to us? He gave us His Son. He gave what He had. And I, I want to challenge you. Turn with me to Psalm 40. Then we're, go- we're going to move through the Scriptures today. It's, it's, it's hard to really describe and understand God's love for us without turning the pages in this most wondrous book called the Bible, the Holy Scriptures. The book of Psalms, Psalm 40. And I want to start reading in verse 6. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. God had ordered in the law that there were sacrifices that were to be offered for sins. And there were sacrifices that were to be offered for thanksgiving. And sacrifices that were to be offered. They, they tell us on Passover... Uh, in the days when Jesus walked this earth as he would attend the Passover in the temple there in Jerusalem, that they, the offering of the lambs for Passover, they would pour the blood out on the pavings around the base of the altar. And part of that lamb would be sacrificed on that altar, burnt offering, but the body of the lamb uh, would be taken home to the individual homes and it would be roast with fire and the Seder or the Passover meal would be enjoined by families, sometimes extended families, depending on the number of the people there. And they tell us that the blood of those sacrifices would seep through the paving stones and literally paint the mountain on which Jerusalem was built red with the blood of the sacrifices. And yet here as we read it says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. You see, God has always desired faith. Sacrifices without faith does not get you into heaven. Then it says, Mine ears hast thou opened Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord. Thou knowest. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. If you're around our church very long, you're going to hear me talk about how the Bible is its own best commentary. If you want to understand the Bible, you need to read your Bible. And we go to Hebrews chapter 10. 
And we come down to verse 6. It says, In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will of God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offering and offering for sins thou wouldst not, neither hast pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of Jesus Christ once for all. See, you could read those psalms and never be in the proper understanding that that psalm that we just read, Psalm 40, was not talking about David. It was talking about Jesus. It says, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. I want you to understand something. This book, all of this book is about Jesus. It's His story. If you want to understand His story, just pronounce it properly. His story. You see, that's what history is all about. God wants you and me to understand one thing. Two things, actually. We need to understand, number one, He is. We need to understand there is a God. Some very silly people have put together a movie, and, and I'm sure they have the best intentions. Uh, they have a little guy doing graffiti, God is, and then it says dead in great big letters, and if you look closely, he's writing not in between. And it's supposed to be a movie that God is not dead. I want to challenge you. If you will not accept the truth that is written in this book, you're not going to believe because of a movie. If you won't accept what this book says, there is absolutely nothing in this world that I can do to help you avoid an eternity in a place called hell. It's in this book that it is written of Jesus Christ. That's why... We as a church must be busy about our Savior's business. That's missions. That's why we give to missions. That's why we uh, support missionaries. And, and we do these things because uh, one preacher said it this way. God had one son. He was a missionary. He left heaven. To come to earth. And we get back to that idea of love. Could I challenge you to think about love? Love involves giving, does it not? But you know what? That giving cannot have strings attached. How many of you have ever received a gift? Now, kids, you, you might not know this yet, but you do. You understand what I'm talking about. 
How many of you have ever given somebody something and say, now I'll give you this if you give me that? Hmm? Can I challenge you? Can I tell you that's not the way to give things? That that's not the proper motivation if you really love someone? You have to take a chance that they may not receive your love. That's what the most wonderful thing about a godly marriage is, is. Is that you can freely give your love to another human being. And they've promised you that even if you mess up, they'll still be there tomorrow. That's what I, uh, almost every marriage sermon that I've ever preached, I try to get in there. The greatest gift that you can give one another in marriage is tomorrow. The promises that if we fail today, I'm not going to go away. What's that silly little Christmas song? I gave you my heart for Christmas last year. And the next week you gave it away. Oh, what a silly, silly song. What's really sad, though, is the foolishness that promoted the thought process that put that to music and put those words together. Because music, I hope you've enjoyed the music today. We can't always promise that the whole family will be here for the music, but we want to take advantage of it at least this year again. And music is a reflection of your soul. It's your worship. It's part of our worship to God. That's why music is so important. That's why we're so careful about music. It's one of the little things that we can give back to the Lord in worship and praise to Him. Can we say amen to that? Love is giving. And I am so glad I seldom miss an opportunity to bash the Calvinist, and I'm going to do that till the day I die. And the reason is simply this. The Calvinists say that God only died for those that get saved. That makes God selfish, even pernicious, if you like big words. That He only seeks to help those who are willing to help Him. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible was willing to take a chance on every human being, already knowing that most living human beings would refuse to accept His love. But for those who would accept it, He came. I can't describe to you, I can't imagine, I try, what Jesus went through as He left heaven's glory. 
and became a babe in the womb of Mary. All that time and space, as that little body grown, grew, no one could see at first any features and then little bones and a little heart started beating and bounced up and down the 60-mile journey to Bethlehem. That's one of the reasons Mary probably delivered it when she did. Was if you walk that far, that far along, chances are the baby would be born right away. And the little baby was born. And then had to learn how to walk, how to speak. The God of heaven trapped in a little body that he could not communicate from. Why? Because God so loved the world. See, that's the message of Christmas is God's love for you and I today. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews, and again, when he bringeth his first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. I want you to understand that God never ceased being God. We, we do not believe in any of the man-made explanations of how Jesus became a man, how God took upon Him human flesh. We don't believe that He ever stopped being God. But He had to cover some things because if He had let His glory show through, Every person in his presence would have died because sin cannot be in the presence of a holy God. Galatians chapter 4 says, But when, he, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is one of the reasons I love my old King James Bible. That word, Abba, is the intimate term in in, uh, English. We use the term daddy. The translators said, we're we're talking about God. We, We can't put that word in the common English language. And so they transliterated the Hebrew word Abba into the English language. But God wants us to call Him Daddy. 
See, many people grow up in broken homes and without the proper love and joy that ought to be there. Today is not the day to remember that. Today is the day to remember that Jesus came so that we could have that relationship not with another human being, but with the Creator God of the universe. Can you say amen to that? That we could be intimate. That we could literally, as a little child loves to do, my my boys still love to do it. And as long as I'm big enough, I'm going to let them sit on my lap. But when they get Stephen size, it, it gets a little rough. And don't you try it today, boy. He will. Not that I would mind too much as long as he didn't sit down very hard. But, uh, you know, fathers get frail. Uh, somebody said, do you wrestle with your children? Only when they're little. Amen. Because as they get bigger, they could hurt you. And uh, we don't want that to happen. I don't want that to happen. Remember one of them one time said, Ah, one of these days I'm going to be stronger than you are. And I said, and when you are, you won't want to do anything about it. He looked and he said, yeah, that's true. You see, God wants us to be intimate with him. And by the way, you're never too big to sit on God's lap. You're never too big to bring your cares and your concerns to Him. The Bible says, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Can we say amen to that? You see, He wasn't born to be the baby in the manger set. He was born to be our Savior. But there had to be that moment in time There had to be that moment in time when a child was conceived without a human father. There was a moment in time when that baby developed inside the mother's womb and the process of labor and delivery uh, kicked in and, and Mary lay there in the manger giving birth to her firstborn son. There was that moment when that cry was first heard and God sent His angels to worship Him. Never ceased being God. Not one little bit. But He did become man in every part and parcel of every human being in this building. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. And sometimes this is a confusing passage. I've read in the uh, of these uh, Islamic imams or people who pretend they know about God laughing and mocking and and saying, "Did Mary change God's diaper?" <laughs> you know, like some like that. Some point. That's how much my God loves me. You see, your God doesn't love you that much. Because your God isn't the God of the Bible. My God loved me so much that He became a man just like I am. So He can save me from my sins. 
That's the message of the Word of God. And by the way, He loved me so much, He doesn't need anybody to help Him love me either. That's one of their favorite little sayings. God has no helpers. Listen, God is God. He doesn't need any helpers to be God. But He loves me so much, He lets me do something. All this past year, my little boys come up. Dad, can I go over to Union with you and do something? No, it's dangerous over there. I can't take you over there as a little boy. In fact, Philip was saying, I, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. He was acting like a two-year-old. And uh, I took him over a couple of times when I had jobs that he could do, like sweeping the floor and raking the yard and, and, and jobs like that. And I did get the little boys over there to look at things a couple of times, but... I'll tell you what, it just reminded me of how much God loves us. He lets us do things if we'll do it His way. Because if we don't do it His way, what happens? Same thing happened to my little boys. They get hurt. And I don't want my little boys to get hurt. And God doesn't want His little children to be hurt. He wants us to be able to work with Him and walk with Him through this life because He loves us in a greater way than any of us could ever understand. Could we just stop and say amen to that? But in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery... To be equal with God. Oh, that made the Pharisees so mad. Oh, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus told them, If I were to deny my father, I'd become a liar just like you. Wow. Don't give me any of this mamsy-pamsy, sissy Christian stuff. That wasn't Jesus. He was not unnecessarily offensive. He was not mean. He was never cruel. But he never backed down from the truth. Can we say amen to that? Verse 7, But made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man, and being found in fashion as a man, He humbled himself, and what is that next two words? Became obedient. You know, there's some people that stumble at that thought. How? How did did Jesus become obedient? Well, just wait till we get to the next passage. He learned obedience. How did Jesus become or learn anything? Well, as God... He already was and is everything. But he was a man. And he had to walk in time just like you and I do. 
And that's what it's talking about. He fulfilled the will of His fathers. As a man, He had to learn and experience things. As a human being, He had to be confined as our bodies confine us in one place, in one time. And yet you read John chapter 3, read on there. He says, but the Son of Man who is in heaven, present tense. Jesus was not limited as God. But He certainly was as a man. He did that because He loved us. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him, and given Him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. People stumble at that verse. They think you're supposed to work out a deal with God. That's not what it says. You're supposed to take the salvation that God gives and let it work in your life. And if it works... It's going to affect people around you. Amen? You see, that's how much God loves us. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to start reading in verse 5. So also Christ glorified not Himself... To be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now we go back to talking about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears, unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared Though he were a son, yet he learned, learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that... What's those last two words? Let's try that again. Unto all them that... Let's try that one more time. we got about half of you that time. Here we go. Here we go. It says, and became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. You see, Jesus learned obedience. He made His body go through those things. He lived in real time and He suffered real sufferings. How much did he put up with from the disciples? On the road to Emmaus, after his resurrection, oh foolish and faithless generation, 
And he began to teach them all things about himself. I'm glad God's patient, aren't you? You know what makes people patient? Love. That's why we're so impatient. It's because we don't have a lot of love. We have just enough to take care of the things we want to take care of. That's human nature. We got to let God give us extra. And that'll make us more patient with other people. Can we say amen to that? He's the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now we're almost done. You see, Christ did all these things for us. Jesus came and was born of the Virgin Mary and lived 33 and a half years on this earth, confined in a human body. So much man that those that looked at him said, Thou being a man, makest thyself God. Yet so much God, when he said, I am in the garden, they fell back on their faces and could not arrest him except he gave them permission. He was so much God, he prayed for those that nailed him to the cross. You know, we read things into the Bible that just aren't there because we're human beings. As Jesus suffered and died on the cross, the Bible says that his last statement was, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The statement just before that was the one that's up here on the board behind me. It is finished. John said, I'm sorry, John said that he said it is finished. One of the other gospel records records him as just giving a great cry. You know, when you're dying, if you are reaching the end of your physical endurance and dying, you don't have strength to make some great cry. I used to work in a nursing home. And unfortunately, one of my jobs was to take care of people as they were dying. More often than not, death was a fairly silent thing. As months and months they languished away and finally that last gasp and it was all done. That was not Jesus on the cross. It was not a cry of exasperation or or one last rally before he died. It was a statement of victory. It is finished. The suffering is all done. The price of salvation has been paid once and forever. Foolish is the man who tries to recreate the sacrifice of Christ. Foolish is the person who believes that what Jesus did on the cross 
is not enough to pay for your sins. You will be separated from God from all eternity. Wise is the man who will simply take Jesus at his word. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, Christ's obedience demands obedience from you and I. That's why we're in church on Christmas Sunday morning. Because Jesus established his church. He told us we need to be in church. Amen? But you know what? You can't be a member of this church until you're saved first. Someone says, well, if I go to church all my life and I do everything they tell me, maybe one day I'll be good enough to go to heaven. And and people have even come up with a second one is you can go to another place and finish paying for your sins if you really meant well. No, the Bible tells us very clearly and very simply, if you die with one sin on your account, there's only one answer, and that's hell forever. You see, that's what Jesus meant when he said it is finished. He paid for every sin that was ever sinned on the cross. And that's why he doesn't tell you to believe in the church, to believe in the baptistry, to believe in anything that you can do. You have to believe in what Jesus did in order to be saved. Can we say amen to that? You say, that's so simple. Yes, it is. And if it weren't, most of us would never have a chance to get to heaven. If you're going to be saved, you've got to do it His way, not yours. God is under no obligation with all that He has done to accept anything less than what He requires. Can we say amen to that? After you're saved, then you get baptized. Because baptism is your public testimony of what Jesus did. After you're baptized... You become a member of the church and you serve in and through the local church. That's God's plan. Amen? How long are you supposed to live for Christ? How about every day? Amen? For the rest of your life. We're going to have a baby dedication in a few minutes. And I must confess it's been a while. It's been too long. But the Bible gives us directions on how to order our families. And the dedication really isn't for the children. Other than a couple of the older ones, they're not going to remember this or have any idea what happened today other than a little piece of paper that mom and dad give them or a Bible that mom and dad let them have when they get a little older. The dedication is for the parents. It's a promise that you make to God, to this church, to each other, and to your children. That you're going to order your family and raise your children according to what the Bible says. You know what? 
That's an incredible promise. That's an incredible responsibility to undertake. But that's the way it ought to be. You see, when Jesus came the first time, we had Zacharias and Elizabeth living out their entire lives waiting to give birth to John the Baptist who would announce Jesus. That was their part. God chose them. They had to live a whole life faithfully to get there. Mary was just a young woman engaged to a husband and in the normal course of her and Joseph's life and marriage, God changed the whole thing and turned it up on end so that He could show us how much He loved us by becoming a man. And Mary and Joseph agreed and followed God directly and even though they didn't understand many times, uh, several times, the Bible says Mary kept these things in her heart. She pondered these things in her heart. That should be enough evidence to any honest person that Mary was not divinity, that Mary is not to be prayed to or honored in any special way other than a human being. She said, read it in Luke 2, I rejoice in God my Savior. If you need a Savior, that makes you a sinner. So many traditions are here to take our attention away from Jesus. That's where our attention needs to be. It's He that loved us. And the Bible says, if we'll obey Him, He'll save us. If we'll obey Him, He'll give us the direction that we need. If we'll obey Him, He'll put our families together on it. He'll give us what we need to serve Him and He'll give us direction to order those children and take those little ones, teach them how to live for God. You see, that's how much He loves us. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me ask you a question. Are you saved today? Do you know your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home? If you don't, that's the first thing you need to get settled right now. It's simply by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we have a time of invitation. In in a few moments, everybody's going to bow their heads, so nobody's going to be looking at you or or, or anybody else. They should be looking at yourself. Do you remember the day when you trusted Jesus as your Savior and He took your sins away? If you do, then you need to be praying because there are some people in our auditorium every Sunday morning that are not saved, or at least we have no idea whether they're saved or not because they haven't told us. After you're saved, then you get baptized. You know what? I've never walked down the aisle, grabbed a hold of somebody, and dragged them down the aisle and dunked them in the baptistry. Number one, you can get arrested for that. Number two, that's not the way you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Every person that has walked down into those waters has done so because they've given a testimony of a personal salvation experience with Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? And after you're baptized, then you can serve God in the church. He lets me help him. I get to do something. And if we were honest, we've all failed him in those things we're supposed to do. And that's why we have a time of invitation so you can come and talk to God about those things. And you can leave church with a clean conscience and ready to serve God through this coming week. And all God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and Lord, we do pray that if there be those here today that are unsaved, that Lord, they would not be confused by the message, but would understand that salvation is simply believing in Jesus alone. Believe that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Lord, we pray for those that are saved, but they've never told anybody that they would be willing to come and let us know and say, I'm saved. I'm willing to tell people I need to be baptized. And Lord, we ask that you would be with the vast majority of people here who are saved and baptized and members of this church. Lord, we would surrender our wills and our thoughts and our desires to you and your word. That we would serve you together as the church of Jesus Christ. We ask you. On this Christmas day, to let each one of us examine ourselves and to answer the love that you have loved us with by a willing and cheerful obedience to you and to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. As we sing the song of invitation, if you need to come, the altar is open. If you're not sure about your salvation, look this way as you walk up the aisle and we'll have someone take the Bible and show you how you may be saved. Let's stand together. As we sing, if you need to come, now is the time.